again I said Sanskrit and then translated Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnam Udachate Purnasha Purnamadaya Purnam Eva Avashishate. God is fullness, creation is also fullness. God is fullness, creation is also fullness. The fullness of creation comes from the fullness of God. But the fullness of creation has the beginning and the end, but the fullness of God has no beginning and no end. And so the prayer is to take us to the infinite and once we have the experience of the infinite, then we live the life of fullness. The life of fullness, manifesting fullness in our daily life and daily relationships. And now, it seems to me that the ultimate purpose of the whole creation, which began at the moment of Big Bang, and also the ultimate purpose of every individual is to grow into that fullness, is to grow into that fullness. And of course, in the case of other beings like the plants and the animals, this growth seems to take spontaneously. You don't need to have an effort, you don't need to have a technique, you don't need to have anything. It seems it happens spontaneously. But only in the case of human beings, this process of evolution can be blocked, can be blocked. And so we need to make an effort, a conscious effort to, to make that, uh, that journey to the, to the fullness. And our spiritual evolution is like a pilgrimage, we can describe like a pilgrimage, it's like a climbing a hill, climbing a hill. And the destiny is to reach the top of the hill. The destiny is to reach the top of the hill. Of course, the starting points are different. <laughs> each religion has its a different starting point and each individual has a different starting point. <laughs> okay? And that is what makes each religion unique, each individual also unique. But the difficulty can be, people forget the, the top of the hill they settle down on the way. <laughs> they build houses, sometimes concrete houses, and they build the houses on the way and settle down. And when we settle down, what happens? So our pilgrimage stops. Our journey stops. And so we forget our ultimate destiny, and we are very much preoccupied with the houses that we have built, and there comes violence and conflict, fighting with each other. But as long as we, we are clear about our ultimate destiny, then there is no place for violence. Pilgrims don't kill each other. <laughs> they help each other, but they don't kill each other. And so when we stop becoming pilgrims, so then unconsciously we block our own spiritual evolution and contribute to violence, division in the, in the world. And the Vedic sages, in a way, have given a kind of very clear vision how the human beings evolve in our relationship with God. And for me it was a very extraordinary vision which happened 500 years before, before Christ. I said that the goal is to the fullness, to the unity. 
and there are four important uh, identifications through which uh, our conscious can, consciousness can evolve. There are four important identifications. The first identification is with our body. Actually, the question is uh, who we are or who am I? And so, in the first level, we identify with our body. I am my body. I am an individual. I am a material being. So, if I am a body, an individual, what is the purpose of my life? The purpose of my life is to take care of my body, to satisfy the desires of body, my body, to satisfy the ambitions of my, my individuality. So, the whole world revolves around the body and around individuality. So, everybody is pursuing their individual goals and individual ambitions and the satisfaction of the, the body because we identify with our body. And the sages say it is nothing wrong in that, you can find great fulfillment in that, pleasures in that, but that is not the ultimate goal of our, our life. Now, the second identification which into which human consciousness grows is called, technically it is called dreaming consciousness, dreaming consciousness. Dreams are ideals, dreams are ideal persons. So, in the second level, we have ideals and the ideal persons. The question is, who am I? I am not my body. I do not live only for the sake of my body, but I have an ideal to follow. I have an ideal person to imitate in my, in my life. And all religions, all belief systems, all philosophies, they all belong to the dreaming consciousness. And in the dreaming consciousness, we have a collective identification. We have a collective label. Who am I? I am a Hindu. I am a Muslim. I am a Christian. I am a Jew. I am a Buddhist. So, we have a collective label which unites with some people and divides from the others. If I say I am a Christian, I am united with all the Christians in the, in the world, but I am separate from the non-Christians. Non so, my identification creates a boundary in which I live. And so, when I live in a boundary, there is a necessity of defending my boundary. I want to defend my boundary, but I also have an ambition to expand my, my boundary. So, where there is a desire to protect my boundary and expand my boundary, there is inherent violence. There is inherent violence. And that inherent violence also creates violence in the, in the world because each religion wants to protect itself and expand itself and it sees other religions, other collective groups as a kind of enemy, as an obstacle. So, in the second level of consciousness, we have ideals and the ideal persons and the sages say it is wonderful to have an ideal. <laughs> it is wonderful to have an ideal person because we do not live only for ourselves, but we live something bigger than ourselves. We live for our religion, 
and we are willing to die for our religion. It's wonderful. But that is not the ultimate goal of our life. Now the question is, from where do we select our ideals? From where do we select our ideal persons? Can you guess? From where do we select our ideals, ideal persons? From the past, from the present, or from the future? From the past. From the past. Very good. Christianity was born 2000 years ago. That becomes my ideal. Buddhism was born 2500 years ago. That becomes my ideal. Islam was born 1500 years ago. That becomes my ideal. So in the dreaming consciousness, in the collective consciousness, we take the ideals from the past, bring to the present and take to the future. So the past is entering into the present and going into the future. That means uh, the present is not original. The present is not original. The present is not uh, creative. It is only almost like a servant to the past to go to the to go to the future. And that is what happens in the dreaming consciousness. The dreams are ideals and the ideal persons, but they are so powerful, they use the present in order to go to the, to the future. Okay? But, so the dreaming consciousness, even may, it may be um, uh, kind of inspiring us, but it is not original. Okay? And so there is a third level of consciousness, which they describe as a universal consciousness. Universal consciousness. In the universal consciousness, uh, there is no past, there is no future. Technically, it is called a deep sleep consciousness. Deep sleep consciousness means a dreamless sleep state. In the second level, we have dreams. In the third level, we have no dreams. Dreams means a no ideals, no ideal persons. And so when there, there are no ideals, no ideal persons, what remains is the, the present. So the present becomes uh, free from the past, from the future and manifests uh, eternity. Manifests uh, eternity. It, uh, it receives the eternal and manifests the eternity in time and space. So there is no past, there is no future. There is only the, the present. This is called universal consciousness. Universal consciousness means there is no more boundary. I am not a Hindu. I am not a Christian. I am not a Muslim. I am not a Jew. I am the whole creation. I am the whole of humanity. And there are no others. Whatever I do to the others, I do to myself. And that is the third level of consciousness which is described as the deep sleep consciousness or universal consciousness. Now the fourth level of consciousness is called awakened consciousness. Awakened consciousness in which a person says I and God are one or God alone is. God alone is. I am one with God at that level. And so our spiritual evolution is to begin with the physical identity, grow into the collective identity and then move into the universal identity and then come to the unity with the divine. 
and there we discover that God is fullness. God is a fullness and when we are living the life of God, then our life becomes a life of fullness. It is not my life, it is not your life, it is the life of God. Whatever we do is the life of God and in that life there is no more burden. There is no more burden from the past, there is no burden from the, from the future. It is only now, now manifesting in this present moment. And now the sages, Indian sages have said, the problem is the second level. The problem is the, the dreaming consciousness. The dreaming consciousness becomes so powerful, sometimes it doesn't allow the people to transcend that level and move into the third and the fourth level of consciousness. And then our spiritual evolution is blocked and then unconsciously we create conflict in the, in the world. Now when we come to the life of Jesus, now we can see that he is also pointing towards that uh, uh, life of fullness, the life of unity with God, which he calls it uh, the kingdom of uh, God. You know the central message of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of uh, God. And what is the kingdom of God? Can you guess? What is the kingdom of God? Unity, very good, unity, yes. Now, present moment, very good. Now, the ultimate description of the kingdom of God is the transformation of our ordinary life into the divine life. Transformation of our ordinary, normal life into the divine life. That is the kingdom of God. And of course, we can also describe it as the union with God. Christ said, the Father and I are one. And that is the, the kingdom of God. And it is also living in the, in the present moment, manifesting the eternity in the, in the present moment. And another way of describing the kingdom of God, it is the, the fullness of the love of God manifesting in the fullness of the love of neighbor. The kingdom of God is the fullness of the love of God manifesting in the fullness of the love of neighbor. Because the kingdom of God is this union of this love of God and the love of neighbor. So when Christ said, I and the Father are one, that is the experience of the fullness of the love of God. And when he says, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters that you do unto me. So there is no separation between me and God. There is no separation between me and the humanity and the creation because I and God are one and I and the creation are one. So whatever I do to God, I do to myself. Whatever I do to the creation, I do to myself. There is no more two. There is only unity. And that is really the experience of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus invited people to experience this kingdom of God to transform our normal ordinary life into the kingdom of God with the word repent. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent. So repentance is the, is the path of our transformation of our consciousness, transformation of our, our life. Now, the question is, before Jesus proclaimed this good news of the kingdom of God, 
he himself had to experience the kingdom of God. He himself had to grow, he himself had to repent uh, uh, into the kingdom of God. So how did he do that? And we can see four important movements in the life of Jesus. And I think these movements are very useful for our own spiritual breakthrough, spiritual evolution. There are four important movements in the life of Jesus. The first movement was his birth as a human being. His mother Mary, physical mother Mary, conceives him, protects him, nourishes him, and gives birth to him as a human being. So he was a human being like any other human being. And we are also coming from the womb of our mothers. Okay? So in that sense, uh, he was a human being like any other human being. And the second important moment in the life of Jesus was the day of his circumcision on which he enters into the collective consciousness of Judaism. He is not only a human being, he becomes a, a Jew. It is said, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple and offer him to God. So the temple is the symbol of Judaism. And the temple is also a symbol of a religious womb. So to enter into the temple is to enter into the womb of Judaism. We can say that Judaism becomes pregnant with, with Jesus. And Jesus had to grow in the womb of Judaism. So in that sense, he was a 100% Jew. And as a Jew, he might have said, Judaism is my way, my truth, and my life. Because he was a fully a Jew, and he lived like a Jew, spoke like a Jew, and worshipped God like a Jew. So he was a 100% Jew. And then he did not remain only in the boundaries of Judaism. He began to think. He began to reflect. He began to grow in his religion. And growth means uh, you come to the boundary and realize the limitations of uh, one's religion or your religion. And that is the sign of growth. When we realize the limitations of our religion, that means we have grown. You know, when the child is in the womb, for nine months, it is heaven to be there. <laughs> no problem. But when the child has fully grown, the child says, I don't want to stay here. I want to get out from here. That means the child has grown. This womb is no more sufficient. It needs something bigger. So also, Jesus realized the limitations of his religion. The first limitation was, his religion divided humanity into two the Jews and the non-non-Jews, Gentiles. So there was a wall between the Jews and the non-Jews. The second limitation was, God was only the God of the Jews. He is not the God of the Gentiles. So there was a wall between God and the, and the Gentiles. And the third limitation was, God was a transcendent mystery, inaccessible to the human beings. Nobody can see God directly. And this God reveals his will through the prophets and through the commandments, but you cannot see God directly. If you see God, you die. So God was a transcendent mystery, inaccessible to the human beings. And the fourth limitation was that religion is more important than human beings. Human beings have to be at the service of food religion, subservient to the religion. So the religion is greater than human 
beings. And when human beings are in the religion, are in the womb of religion, first comes religion, second comes God, as understood by that religion, and third come human beings, who has to worship God in that religion. So, first religion, second God, and third come human beings. And the, realizing the limitations of his religion brings to Jesus the third important moment of his life, that was the moment of his baptism. The baptism is a moment in which Jesus comes out of the womb of his religion, out of the womb of his religion and enters into the direct experience of God. It's like a spiritual birth. First he came out from the womb of his mother Mary, now he is coming out of the womb of his religion, that is Judaism, and he enters into the universal presence of God. It was a kind of spiritual birth. And in this experience, the wall between the Jew and the Gentile is broken down. There is no more a Jew, no more a Gentile, is a birth of a, a new human consciousness, which is not a Jew, not a Gentile, no collective consciousness, but the universal consciousness, which in Christianity we call the Son of God. The Son of God is not so much of a gender, masculine. The Son of God is one who realizes the unity with the whole of humanity and the whole creation. And now the wall between God and the Gentiles is broken down and God is the God of the whole of humanity and the whole of creation. So it is the experience of one God, one creation and one, one humanity. So the baptism experience of Jesus breaks down all the barriers and creates one God, one creation and one humanity. And then as a Jew, Jesus might have said, Judaism is my way, my truth and my life. And now he would say, I am the way, the truth and the, and the life. That means, I am greater than religion. So it is a consciousness that goes beyond the boundaries of religions. It is not a religion based on religion, but beyond religion. And this experience has to be understood according to the new covenant that God promised to the Jewish people. First he gave them ten commandments through Moses in which he told them what they should do, what they should not do. And this uh, revelation, this relationship created a God of authority, a God who demands the submission of the will and the intellect, a God of reward and punishment a God who demands loyalty, a God who creates the collective, collective consciousness. But that relationship was not always smooth. People were not faithful to God, they went to the other gods. And sometimes God calls them, you are a rebellious and stiff-necked people, going and worshipping the other gods. And then God says, in the future, I am going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I will write the law in the hearts of the people, from the least to the greatest, everybody knows God. There is no need one person telling to the other person to know God. 
I will forgive their sins. I will not remember them anymore. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so the baptism experience of Jesus is the inauguration of the new covenant. God doesn't give him any commandments, even the two great commandments, the love of God and the love of neighbor. God says, you are my beloved son. So God reveals who Jesus is or who humanity is. And that self-knowledge becomes the way, the truth and the, and the life. And God becomes completely silent. He's not a God of authority, the God of the commandments, but the God of freedom and the God of silence. And so the baptism experience of Jesus is really the transcendence of the human consciousness from the collective consciousness to the universal consciousness and giving birth to the universal consciousness which lives for the welfare of the whole of creation, not one particular individual or particular group. And then the fourth important moment in the life of Jesus was when he says, the Father and I are one. So he began as an individual, a physical human being. Then he enters into the collective consciousness of Judaism. And then he moves into the universal consciousness of the Son of God. And finally, he realizes he is one with God. And now, he is fully divine in the fourth level of experience. But he is also fully human in the lower three levels of consciousness. And now I would like to present to you some kind of analogy to describe these levels of consciousness. The, the, the first one is, uh, 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 imagine a tree. A tree has leaves, branches, the trunk and the roots. The leaves represent to individuality. There are billions of individuals in the world today. Maybe six billion individuals are there. So this tree of life has six billion individuals. The branches represent uh, collective consciousness, our belief systems, our religions. Even though there are six billion individuals in the world, there are not six billion branches, maybe 10, 20 branches, which really are guiding the six billion people in the, in the world. Christianity will take two billion, so Hinduism will take one billion, Islam will take more than 1.6 billion. And so, five, ten religions, in a way, big religions, which are guiding six billion individuals. The trunk represents a universal consciousness. There is only one trunk, which is holding all the branches and the, and the leaves. And the trunk is living for the welfare of all the branches and the leaves. Whatever it receives, so it gives to the branches and the, and the leaves. And the roots represent uh, the divine the ground, the unknown, the transcendent, the hidden, but which is nourishing the, the whole, whole tree. Okay? Now, Jesus began as a leaf. He enters into the branch of Judaism and then he moves into the trunk of the universal consciousness and then he goes to the source and realizes one with the roots and then he is the whole tree. <laughs> and there is only one tree one way, one truth, and one, one life. And in this unity, there is no possibility of violence. There is no possibility of violence. There is only peace. Okay? 
and to living that life of unity we describe as the life of fullness, living from our fullness. Because this living this fullness is the life of unity. Whatever we do is the work of everything, whatever others do is also our work because there is no more any, any, any division. Okay. And another analogy I would like to use is uh, the first level of consciousness can be described earth consciousness, earth, the solidity, the body. Okay. The second level of consciousness can be described as cloud consciousness, you know the clouds. There are many, many clouds. The clouds are belief systems. Okay? And we do not see the sunlight directly, but we see only through the, through the clouds. We don't receive the fullness of light, but only conditioned by the, by the structures our mind creates. The third level of consciousness can be described as the moon consciousness. Moon consciousness. The moon is empty. It is above the clouds, beyond the clouds. It receives the light from the from the sun, and whatever it receives, so it uh, it gives. So there is an intimate relationship between the sun and the and the moon. There is no any kind of mediation of mind or thought or belief system or anything. There is a kind of uh, intimate relationship between the divine and the and the human. And the fourth level is the sun consciousness. The sun is uh, fullness of light. It is radiating this light all the time and the moon is receiving this, uh, this light. And so in our spiritual uh, evolution, we need to break through the cloud consciousness and enter into the moon, moon consciousness. And in the moon consciousness, uh, there is no becoming, there is no time and space, there are no ideals, there are no ideal person. We realize uh, we are the unique manifestations of uh, God. Every individual is the unique manifestation of God. We do not follow anybody. We don't want to follow. We don't want anybody to follow us. And that is the meaning of the statement. I am the way, the truth and the, and the life. If I am the way, the truth and the life, that means I do not follow anybody from the past. <laughs> if I follow anybody from the past, then I cannot say I am the way, the truth and the life. I have to say somebody is the way, the truth and the life. And if I don't want to follow anybody from the past, then I don't want anybody to follow me in the, in the future. I want everybody to be free from me. I want everybody to live an original and a creative life. And so to enter into this third level and moving into the fourth level is to discover our originality and creativity and manifesting the fullness and living that fullness of life in our human relationship. But he also said the kingdom of God is the transformation of our life. And Jesus very, very tremendously manifested this truth with a simple ritual, the ritual of the Eucharist. The ritual of the Eucharist is really reveals the ultimate destiny of our spiritual evolution. He takes the bread and the, and the wine, which represent ordinary life, ordinary food, and he elevates them into the divine. And he says, this bread is not ordinary bread, this is the body of God. This wine is not ordinary wine, it is the blood of 
God. And now he gives to his disciples and says, take this and eat, take this and drink. And so elevation of the ordinary life into the divine life is the fullness of the love of God and sharing that with our brothers and sisters is the fullness of the love of neighbor. And so whatever we give to the other is the body of God and whatever we receive from the others is the body of God. That means the fullness of life which we live is a continuous Eucharistic celebration. Our life has to be a continuous Eucharistic celebration 24 hours of the day because what we receive is the divine, what we give is the, the divine. Because human life is relationship and in relationship we need to experience uh, it is not in isolation, but in a, in relation. And so every relationship becomes so an Eucharistic celebration. Okay, this is really the powerful message that Jesus gives. And so the kingdom of God means God is greater than human beings, greater than religions. Human beings in their deepest level are greater than religions, and the religions have to be meant at the service of human beings and not human beings at the service of religions. And this was the revolution that Jesus brought into the spiritual evolution of humanity. And with this vision, you cannot find a religion. And that is why it is very important, especially for us Christians today, not to identify Christ with Christianity. Christ and Christianity are not identical. Christianities are different interpretations of Jesus' message, his teaching, but no Christian church can claim to have the fullness of Jesus' truth because Jesus Christ means unity. And where there is a division in the name of Jesus Christ, there is no fullness of Jesus' truth. And it is unfortunate, of course we can say, what we Christians have done, have done, is unfortunate that Christianity is dividing humanity in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And today it's a challenge for Christianity to transcend the, the belief systems of Christianity and discover the truth of unity with God, with the creation, so that the message of Christ becomes a message of liberation, unity and peace and non-violence and not a message of dividing the humanity and creating conflict in the, in the world. And now we come to this, uh, the spiritual practices. As I said, the ultimate purpose of our spiritual uh, evolution is to come to this unity with God, to reach the top of the hill. That is the ultimate purpose. And the purpose of all religions is to help us uh, to go there. But unfortunately, they don't help us to go there. They stop on the way. As I said, religions are like a house is built in the middle of the hill and stopping the people not to go beyond. And today the religions have become an obstacle for the spiritual evolution of humanity. And in this context, we have to understand the phenomenon of secularism and atheism. And for me, secularism and atheism are manifesting the deep longing of the human heart to transcend the God of religions, the God of history, and to enter into the God of unity and the God of eternity. And so somehow, indirectly, God is speaking to us 
through atheism and through secularism which religions have to open and to listen because religions are really is like a pregnant woman which doesn't want to give birth <laughs> religions are like a pregnant woman which doesn't want to give birth and so if religion wants only to conceive and doesn't want to give birth then the religion becomes uh, negative it actually it kills life and there is something very very serious we have to understand uh, that the religions are meant to be to conceive and to nourish and then also to give to give birth and not to keep uh, the children inside the inside the womb and this is something every religion has to realize whether i am just a pregnant woman or i am becoming a mother you know in the catholic church we say a mother church you know <laughs> mother church but i say she is not a mother church she is only a pregnant woman <laughs> because how how can we call her mother when nobody is born from her and to be born means you have to be outside to become independent to stand on your own on your own feet but as long as you are controlling people making them to be dependent you are not really a mother you are only a pregnant woman who has a little bit of sick because you don't want to give birth you don't want to give freedom to your your children and this applies to all religions not only to christianity or anything all religions in a way and that is why jesus said first he said i have not come to abolish the law but i came to fulfill the law i have not come to abolish religions not at all because we need religions but i came to fulfill them so the fulfillment of religion is to come out of the womb of religions and enter into the direct experience of god and then jesus also said the sabbath is made for human beings and not human beings for the sake of the sabbath that means sabbath is like a religion religions are meant to be at the service of human beings and not human beings at the service of religion and today there is a violence in the world because human beings are at the service of religion and if the religion serves human beings then we can contribute for peace and harmony in the in the world and so another image we can use is that religions are like a nest religions are like a nest in which we are born we are protected nourished and given security and then we are ready to push them into the freedom of the infinite space freedom of the kingdom of god and then the religions become very very helpful very nourishing to the evolution of human consciousness otherwise religions die a natural death because people reject religions because they want to grow into the unity with 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 god and today as i said this second level of consciousness which is the dreaming consciousness with the mind and the thoughts and everything has become so burden to the human at least some people has become the burden they want to get away from that and the sages have proposed different techniques one is meditation another one is prayer the prayer and the meditations are two important methods that the great prophets and the sages have proposed to for the human consciousness to make the transition from the collective consciousness the dreaming consciousness into the awakened consciousness you know the great sage patanjali you know he described the purpose of spiritual practice he said yoga chitta vritti nirodha 
yoga means a spiritual practice what is the purpose of spiritual practice uh, chitta means mind vritti means movement nirodha means to stop <laughs> to stop the movement of the mind but actually it's not just movement of the mind because in the dreaming consciousness the past is coming into the present going into the future so the mind is very very active there and you have to stop that unless we stop that level we cannot move into the into the uh, uh, eternal consciousness or timeless consciousness or moon consciousness so we have to stop it and we cannot stop mind with the mind <laughs> and that is why the sages say don't use your mind then take a mantra take a focus on something so that you can break through from this consciousness to the uh, to the divine consciousness and that is why the meditation today is a very very important to a method or technique given by the grace of god to to make this transition and the other one is prayer okay now what is prayer <laughs> now the ultimate prayer is when we are able to say not my will let thy will be done not my will let thy will be done and it's not possible to say that prayer until we realize that we are meant to do the will of god but sometimes we use god to do our will you know <laughs> we use god to do our will you know john the baptist says you know behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world now what is the sin of the world for me the sin of the world is when we use god for our purpose <laughs> god becomes an object for us to fulfill our goals our ambitions and our desires but jesus says no i have not come to do my will but the will of him who sent me that is the sin of the world that jesus takes away god is not for us but we are for it's like a landlord and the horse the horse is meant to take the landlord where the landlord wants to go but if the horse is taking the landlord where the horse wants to go <laughs> it's a contradiction isn't it and only when the horse realizes uh, my purpose is to take the landlord where the landlord wants to go then the relationship is very harmony and that is really the sin of the world that and that is possible only when we say not my will let thy will be done then our ego comes to an end then the spirit of god enters into us and then we allow god to live in and do through us and today i think it's very important for us especially to transcend our religious labels as long as we still remain within our religious labels so somehow we contribute for violence in the in the world for me even if i say i am a christian i am violent if i say i am a hindu i am violent if i say i am a muslim i am violent because i am living in this boundary consciously unconsciously i need to protect my boundary expand my boundary so we need to go beyond these religious labels and that means to transform our religious labels not as essential but functional we should have a label no? we should have names you know we all have names we should have names but we have to transform our religious labels so as functional but not as 
essential. For example, uh, I come from India, I came from Chennai to London and I flew by uh, Etihad Airways. And if somebody asks me, how did you come to London? I say, I flew by Etihad Airlines. But I don't say, I am Etihad Airlines, you know. Do I say, I am Etihad Airlines? No, I flew, I took it. My destiny is London. So also, our destiny is God. And the goal of all religions is God. And so if somebody asks me, uh, how are you going to God? I say, I am flying by Christian Airlines. <laughs> you see the difference? To say, I am a Christian, or I am using Christianity to come to God, then we are no more violent. There is no need to fight in the name of a religion. For me, this is a very simple um, technique, simple truth. If people stop identifying with the, with the religions, but using religions as a means coming to, to God, and God means again, it's not something, it's unity. God means uh, unity. The question is whether my religion is bringing me to the unity or not. Okay? And then the religions become a source of uh, peace and harmony in the world. Otherwise, uh, uh, we go on living in this world of uh, conflict. And that is why you know, all religious people want peace. But then they go on affirming their identities, you see. How contradiction it is. We want to peace, but we are contributing for uh, violence in the, in the world. And that is why Christ would not say, call yourself a Christian. And Jesus Christ is not a Christian. Okay. He is something beyond. You are one with God. And so prayer and meditation is not just create another identity. It is also a problem. People say, oh, I am a Zen meditator. Okay. I am a Christian meditator. I am a Vipassana meditator. It doesn't help. The moment we identify with the techniques, again we fall into the into the same divisions, if you like. So the purpose of all the techniques is to take us beyond the divisions, the unity, that is the goal, and not to remain at the level of techniques and things like that, but then use them, but then go beyond, so that we can, even our ordinary life becomes a life of peace, contributing for peace in the, in the world. Okay? I'll stop there and see if anybody has any comments or any questions on that. Thy kingdom come. So I tend to think, up till you told me now, that kingdom from above is going to come in. But from what you said, it's transformation. Mm. So when I say thy kingdom come, I must uh, the asking God to transform me. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Thank you, that was amazing. Um, with a view to building world peace, I wonder, are you in dialogue with the Pope? Are you in dialogue with India's Prime Minister Modi? I'm just wondering how we can move this model that 
you're sharing, how we can move it forward but embracing people like the Catholic Church, people like Modi's movement, to, to become a part of this in, in a peaceful, respectful manner. I think it's, uh, for me, the most important thing is to have a clear uh, uh, vision of who we are. Okay? And uh, as I told you, the, the vision of Christ, or the vision of the kingdom, is uh, first is God, and the second, human beings, third, uh, religion. Okay? If that is the model which we keep, uh, then we don't need to fight in the name of religions. Even interreligious dialogue becomes uh, unnecessary, if you like. <laughs> because interreligious dialogue takes place only at the level of belief systems. I would say at the level of the cloud consciousness. Okay? And there we are trying my belief and your belief and you know. But when we transcend that, uh, there is no more belief. We go beyond beliefs. We are intimately touched with ourselves and there there is no belief. And there we discover we are greater than religions. You know, we have, we have two types of identities. One identity that comes from time and space. For example, our body identity comes from time and space. And the religious identity comes from time and space. Okay? Our body goes back to Big Bang. And maybe our religious identities go back maybe thousands of years. Okay? But then there is an identity in us which goes beyond the Big Bang, beyond time and space. And when we discover that identity, we also discover we were there before the Big Bang began. <laughs> so we are greater than this universe, our universes. And that is something we have to, uh, we have to focus, that you are greater than religions. You are greater than this creation. You are infinite. You are eternal. You know, there is a Sufi mystic who said, if I look myself outside, I find myself as a bubble in the ocean. But when I look within, I find the whole universe as a bubble within me. <laughs> you see, that is our greatness. When we look physically outside, we are nothing. We are insignificant in this vast universe. But when we discover our deeper reality, all this creation is like a drop within, a, within us. And that is something which we need to focus uh, and not on religions. And when that is the focus, uh, then there is, there is already a certain sense of unity. But as long as we are dialoguing based on religion, my religion, your religion, it will not take us very far. You know? We always remain in the world of uh, so we need to focus beyond the religions. There hasn't been people focusing on the journey, like you speak about us getting on the Christian plane or the Jewish plane. That journey is that travel towards God is the key focus. But for generations we've been stuck in the label, we've been stuck in the house on the hill. Why is that? Now we see one is uh, I think uh, it is the uh, we have been educated like that. For example, 
we were never told to search for God, to, uh, we were always told to believe. See, the whole of our theological structure is to make people believers. So the belief becomes uh, the credo, no, I believe in God and everything. And so you have to remain in this belief system and only when you die, then your destiny is decided to go to hell or heaven. And so we are not encouraged really to search and to grow and to, to find the truth. And some people have done great mystics in Christianity also have done it, but that is something you know you keep somewhere else. It doesn't become something common to everybody. And so it is really the mistake of our vision and also the religious leaders who try to use this kind of belief systems to, to control or control people. And I think in other religions, there is some kind of freedom, for example, in Hinduism and Buddhism, there is, at least there is a kind of freedom that you have to go beyond uh, these uh, divisions and everything. But still they also can be caught up with the labels of uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and, and that is why we need to go beyond the labels. And today is very important to make people seekers of God and not just remain as believers of God. And that transition is very, very important. Yeah, yeah. To experience the unity with God is the goal of our spiritual life. It's not just believing. You know, belief is a starting point. You know, you know, it's just we need it. Eh? You know, in our spiritual evolution, you know, first we are we are born, we have no belief, and then we enter into a belief system. So we become believers, and if we take our religion seriously, we become followers, believers and followers. Believers are like ordinary citizens. The followers are like soldiers, <laughs> we are ready to die and kill. But then believers and the followers think that their religion is the only truth and outside there is only falsehood. Okay? And there comes a point when people begin to see the limitations of their belief system, they become disciples. You know, disciple. A disciple is one who is learning the truth wherever the truth is found. A disciple is like a bee going around and collecting the honey wherever it is found. Not confined only to his religion or her religion, but open. But then a disciple learns only from the known, what has been already uh, uh, ex explained. He goes to this religion, that religion, that religion is good. And then when we discover the limitations of the known, then a disciple becomes an explorer. <laughs> and exploration is leaving the known and moving into the unknown. <laughs> and that is a very, very important uh, stage. Then we leave the known and move into the unknown. And then we become discoverers of the truth, having the first-hand experience of the, of the truth. And so far our experience is only second-hand experience because of what people thought and everything. And now we have the first-hand experience of God. And that kind of... Uh, uh, process should be allowed. We are believers, we become followers, then we have to become disciples, then we have to be explorers, and then we have to become the discoverers of the, of the truth. Um, do the concepts of reincarnation and karma have any place within Christianity? And now, you see, we, we, have to, we have to take this concept of uh, uh, karma and reincarnation, mm. uh, not limiting to one particular religion, 
but uh, as, as, a, as a cosmic phenomenon. Huh? I spoke to you the dreaming consciousness. The dreaming consciousness is a consciousness which is coming from the past, entering into the present and going into the future. Okay? And this is what I call the process of reincarnation. Reincarnation is the past entering into the present and going into the future. And this reincarnation, usually people understand as something individual, individual reincarnation. Individual dies and individual is born, okay? For me, it is very superficial, <laughs> okay? What is more important is reincarnation of belief systems. Reincarnation of belief systems. You see, Christianity born 2000 years ago, that belief system is born again and again. Individuals come and go, but the religion is given continuity. The same thing also, reincarnation of Hinduism, reincarnation of Islam, reincarnation of uh, Buddhism. These are all born in the past, they are using the present and going into the, into the future. And this is a very powerful reincarnation, which is not something we have to believe in it. It is a fact. The moment I say I am a Christian, it is the reincarnation of Christianity. The moment I say I am a Hindu, reincarnation of Hinduism. Okay? But when we transcend that second level and enter into the third level of consciousness, which is the moon consciousness, there is no past, there is no future. And there is no reincarnation, there is only incarnation. What is incarnation? Incarnation is eternity manifesting in the, in the present. That is incarnation. Reincarnation means past using the present in order to go to the, to the future. And so we need to break away from this stream of reincarnation and become the, the source of incarnation and not remain at the level. And in the same way, where there is ego, where there is a ego, there is a karma and a reincarnation. Where there is no ego, there is no karma, there is no reincarnation. Because a person will say, my life is not my life, but God's life. If it is God's life, where is karma, where is reincarnation? Only when I am there, I am acting my life, then the karma comes, reincarnation comes. But if I am not there, then there is no karma, there is no reincarnation. And that is why the secret is to surrender to God and say, my life is not my life, but God's life. Then you are free from everything. Sure. I wonder if you can clarify something for me. In your four moments of Jesus' life, the uh. important ones, if I understand you correctly, you said, first of all, he was born fully human, and then at each successive stage, he shed or burst through the limitations, ultimately coming divine. Did I misunderstand you? No, 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 you understood well. Yeah. That's inconsistent with the Nicene Creed. So presumably the Nicene Creed in your language is part of the house halfway up the hill. Now you see in the, in the, in the, in the Christian uh, thinking, you know, it's always a kind of uh, uh, thinking that uh, from the beginning itself, uh, is uh, aware that he is God. Huh? I think it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't suit. Huh? Yes, he, he, he is divine. From, everybody is divine from the beginning, okay? But we are not conscious about that. 
So what is unconscious has to become conscious. And for that we need to go through a process. And Jesus has to go through this process where he discovers he is one with God from the beginning, but he was not aware, now he becomes uh, conscious. That's a Yes, yes. Yes, in the beginning he was unconscious of his divinity. And then that divinity becomes a conscious, you know. Otherwise, his baptism experience doesn't make any sense. Why you should have an experience if he's already aware that he's divine in the beginning, you know. And what would be your definition of the ego? Now, you see, ego is uh, in the beginning an identity, just as an identity, okay? Uh, it's not good or bad, okay? It's not good or bad, it's just an identity. If I say, I am John Martin, it is my identity, okay? And that is my ego, if you like. And her name, and everybody has uh, an ego. It is an individual ego, okay? And the sec then we have a collective ego. If I say, I'm a Christian, is a collective ego, <laughs> collective identity, okay? And so everybody has an individual huh, ego and the collective ego. And it is necessary, we should have an identity, otherwise we cannot function in the, in the world. But then if I become ego-centered in the sense, uh, I want to become the center of everything and I want uh, everybody to, uh, to be at my service, uh, then I become egoistic, if you like. I am egoistic because I put myself at the center and everybody is at my, at my service. Okay. The same thing also can be at the collective level. If I say, my religion is the only religion, my religion is the only true religion, and every other religions have no value, then I become a collective ego, which is negative, you see. So the ego is necessary. We need a collective labels or individual labels, but if they become absolute, then they become negative. It is a necessary process. Huh? We all need that. For example, you know, the way it is described is like, our spiritual evolution is from the unconscious unity to the conscious unity. Okay? Uh, in, uh, a, a, in the biblical tradition, we have the symbol of a serpent. You know, a serpent. You see the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Now, the first level, the serpent holding its own tail. Serpent holding its own tail is the symbol of unconscious unity. Everything is united there, but it is not conscious. Like a children in the womb or children just born. There is a sense of unity, but they are not aware of that. Okay? And then the second is called self-consciousness. And this is represented by a serpent crawling on the ground. Okay? And then slowly, slowly we are given an identity. The moment we give a name, we are giving an identity. And then language, culture, religion, morality. So we are conditioning this, uh, this child. So we are giving the ego, if you like. Okay? Ego is a conditioned, conditioned self. And there comes also time and space, desires, ambitions. The serpent is uh, crawling on the ground. It's called self-consciousness. And there comes a good and bad and evil and everything. Okay. And then the third one is called conscious unity, which is like the serpent raising its, uh, its hood. Okay. And then you stop this uh, 
uh, ego, the, the movement of the uh, identities, uh, and then you discover uh, your uh, conscious unity with divine and everything. Okay? And so we begin with the unconscious unity, and then we have to go into the conscious unity, but there is no direct path. We have to go through this path of serpent. <laughs> what do you think happens to the ego when no, we I think, die? Uh, I can give you a kind of uh, an answer like that, but uh, each one has to experience that. Huh? Because if you give answers, it becomes more problematic than really solving the problem. Because ego is something artificial. Ego doesn't have a, a substantial existence. You take the clouds, you know. The ego is like a cloud. Whether the clouds are substantial, Are they substantial? No. no, you might have seen the sky without any, any clouds, isn't it? And so the ego doesn't have a substance. It is only a temporary phenomenon, temporary existence. Once a person discovers uh, the divine and, the, and that uh, cloud is no more there and the body is there and the body is the, at the vehicle of the divine, it's no more at the vehicle of the ego or separation but becomes the vehicle of the divine. Okay? And so the ego has, has no permanent existence. It's like a bubble on the, on the water. The bubble comes. When the bubble breaks, it is nothing but water. That is how it is described. I think, you know, ego also, with the positive ego, it is like the door. You know, this room we have, suppose imagine there is no door. We cannot enter, we cannot uh, go out. And so ego is an identity, even with the body, through which the infinite life manifests itself. You know. We relate with each other through these uh, doors. Without the doors, relationships are not uh, possible. So in that sense, we need the, we need the ego huh, as, a, as a kind of door to manifest the divine. But when it blocks the divine, then it becomes negative. You see. It's not the kind of removing the ego, but transformation of the ego huh, into the vehicle of the divine. Uh, can I ask you? Oh, sorry. Okay. Can I ask you a question to explain further? But what you're saying about secularism and atheism—Are you suggesting that could be seen as a search for unity, as it because religion has become a kind of burden, and people move out with that, hmm. and the move, and secularism and atheism is in some ways a representation of that. Is that what, can you, would you like to say a little bit more about that? I don't know if I've understood you properly, but that's what I... Okay. Now, I'm, an, I'm not an expert, but I give you my opinion on that. You see, secularism, it seems, was born with the desire for freedom. Freedom to think, freedom to will, and freedom to act. Freedom to think, freedom to will, and freedom to act. And religions were not giving that freedom because the religion based on God and the scriptures uh, tells us, uh, tell us uh, what we should think, what we should believe, what we should act. So we have no freedom. And so secularism is a kind of rebellion to that type of uh, uh, phenomenon. We want to think independently, we want to will independently, we want to act independently. So it began, in the beginning secularism began not denying the existence of God, but for this uh, uh, freedom, uh, freedom. 
and then later uh, uh, secularism became atheism it's not only that we uh, uh, in the beginning like agnosticism i don't know whether god exists or not exist but later uh, god doesn't exist so it becomes atheism in a way eh? and then it goes li- little more it becomes aggressive atheism <laughs> not only atheism aggressive atheism which is like a missionary eh? going on converting people everybody to atheism <laughs> okay and so atheism is really longing for freedom okay and that is our destiny you see for example when jesus said i am the way the truth and the life it actually means uh, i decide each moment of my life what to do what not to do i am completely free from the past and completely free from the from the future and so this longing of secularism and atheism for freedom actually longing of the human heart to to transcend the god of religions and encounter the god of freedom and the god of eternity my experience um came through um quaker worship um which is not like an individual meditation but a sense of a deep together going into silence and sensing that unity in the silence mm. and then i realized that i could take that sense with me wherever i was mm. in daily life and i could at any moment ask for guidance so it may be simple as should i go this way or should i go that way should i eat this or should i eat that the the decisions of each moment can be guided by god and then i realized that it was going further and that it was up to me to notice what god was doing in my life that he brought people before me and it was up to me to see them it might be a brief encounter on a train or anywhere but this was an opportunity to manifest god without saying so yes, of course yeah. but it happened this evening with peter i walked in he was there why was he there he was wonderful he opened up this evening for me introduced me but in talking a wider purpose became apparent which was to do with bringing christians muslims together which i think was what you were speaking about mm. to taking those barriers away and learning how to be together mm. well, thank you thank you very much for sharing this um I just wanted to ask if we're going to be followers disciples how do we become explorers <laughs> do we go it alone 
Oh, no. you know, in terms of religion, how do we expand the boundary, either expand the boundaries of our own chosen religion, or how do we go to become explorers? No. And you discoverers? see, the we can go up to discipleship, huh? where we go to other religions, uh, listen to the other religions, because it is very important, too, because uh, uh, it sharpens our intellect listening to other people's thinking and everything, it makes our intelligence uh, sharp. We cannot just uh, break through without uh, purifying our uh, intelligence. Okay? And there comes a point, uh, you discover that uh, everything is okay, but then you have to make the journey. Nobody will come with you. And there you become an explorer. Everything is there, everything has been told, but it is only known and the unknown is always now, original, creative and that you have to go by yourself, you become an explorer, when you realize the limitations of the known, then you become an explorer, I have to find the truth and then when you find the truth, that becomes something very original, something very creative, okay, it is not the mechanical repetition from the, from the past, but it is something very much alive, our friend was sharing, you know, it becomes something uh, alive and that is something we need to, uh, we need to do that. But sometimes, you know, when we believe something absolutely, our mind becomes dull. We no longer question. We only become defenders of this, uh, this belief system. And so we are not open to listen to anybody. And so we have to be disciples, listening, we have to listen to everybody. And then the, the grace of God, in a way, is not so much of us, the grace of God will propel us into that stage, the exploration and the original discovery. For example, Jesus was the original discoverer of the truth. You know, he went into the discovery and then he came, invited people to go there. But then what happens, uh, he, he, uh, he attracted disciples and when he died, uh, the disciples uh, became followers, the followers became <laughs> believers and so we fall back again. <laughs> so it, this path has to be kept always uh, fresh, open to everybody, not to block that. Uh, and then, you know, the people will uh, make this journey. For me, the, the symbol of climbing the mountain is very useful that we don't stop on the way, but tell people to go to the top and not remain on the, on the way. I'm sure you know the chorus, make me a channel of your peace. Now, after what you said about the moon though, shouldn't somebody write a chorus saying, make me like a moon so that I may reflect your light? It's a very beautiful prayer. I hope uh, you, you do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned prayer and meditation. Uh, for me, prayer are words, human words. But for me, meditation is, is something that breaks through and, and, uh, and it is another dimension. And, and every, I enjoyed your talk very much, but the categories that you introduced are human words. And how do you see the role of meditation in, in realizing your, your, your dream. Now, I said that, uh, you know, the, the prayer and meditation are 
two important uh, methods uh, that the, the human mind has uh, uh, discovered. Now, the, the purpose of prayer and meditation is the same. It is nothing but the purification of our ego. The purpose of prayer and meditation is nothing but the purification of our ego so that uh, we become the instruments of God. Okay? But the way it is done is different. Okay? Because in meditation, uh, mm, it is, uh, we do not use words, the meditation is like, uh, like sitting in front of a fire, you know, the fire is burning, but we do not interfere with the fire. We allow the fire to, to burn, so that it extinguishes by, by itself. So, in meditation there is no interaction. Huh? And then we move into this uh, consciousness. But uh, uh, in meditation there is a possibility of proposing uh, impersonal identity, impersonal God. Somebody like Buddhism and things like that, they think of God as uh, impersonal. Okay? And uh, the purpose of prayer is also the same thing, is a purification of our ego. But in prayer, there is an experience of surrender. Now, I'm, I'm, when we say prayer, it's not just vocal prayers and the words, no. Deep prayer is when we surrender in such a way that we say, not my will, let thy will be done. So, there is a death. And in that death, there is an experience of descending of the spirit. You know, in the case of Jesus, in a way, the spirit of God descends upon him. He said when he was praying, you know, and this prayer is not words, it's a complete surrender of oneself to the divine, so that uh, the spirit of God enters into you. So, you have an experience of uh, a personal God, a God who loves you, who God who chooses you. And uh, the prayer also um, uh, makes you to involve with the world, work for the transformation of the world. There is a kind of vocation in your, in your life. It is not just only experiencing oneness with God. Somehow you realize uh, you have to contribute something for the, for the world, the problems of the world. And uh, meditation also can do that, but sometimes it can happen. Meditation may not uh, propose uh, a transformative action. May, maybe may not be. This, and that is why uh, in prayer there is an experience of personal God. But it is not in the personal limited sense, uh, but it's a person means love, compassion, caring, this kind of thing. And so for me, we need to combine both prayer and uh, meditation. It's not one or the, or the other, because the prayer is very much connected with the heart and the feelings and the emotion. And sometimes we need to purify eh, this uh, level also. Then the meditation becomes much more, uh, much more easy. And so it is like a mind and the heart, if you like. You know, we we are both mind and also the heart. So we need to bring together the mind and the and the heart. And so prayer and meditation are very important. But today, especially, the meditation is uh, is very important because uh, because of our level of consciousness today. Because uh, uh, our level of consciousness has become very scientific, very rational. This type of mind, uh, prayer is not very very 
attractive and so the meditation becomes very attractive. It is a necessary thing that we follow today, but we need to always uh, have marriage between prayer and, uh, and meditation and not one or the, and not the other. Can we, I think we'll just make this our last question before we finish. Um, thank you. I've got a question and a comment, if I may. The question <coughs> is seeking clarification on your view of the distinction between God and human beings. If I understood you correctly, you were suggesting that Jesus was born divine but wasn't conscious of the fact and then through various stages, initiations, etc., became conscious of his divinity. Now, if I understood you correctly, um, you also spoke about the divinity of human beings, and I'd be interested in how you distinguish between Jesus and human beings in general, but also, if I may, a quick comment um, on the question about exploring, through my own muscle and joints illness that I'm recovering naturally. It, I'd almost totally lost my mobility three years ago. And um, circumstances connected me with roses in the garden, and I've been with assistance planting many. And a very beautiful relationship has developed with um, insights coming from roses about, about life and about things for me to do. So it is one way um, the roses have made it clear they want to make have a much stronger presence in the world and be helping humankind. So I just would invite people who are interested in becoming explorers to spend time communing with roses and just allow the roses to, to take them wherever, wherever the rose consciousness wishes to take them. Thank you. Now you see, as when it comes to this, um, uh, the, the difference between Christ and uh, uh, and uh, my own understanding is that uh, uh, Christ opened uh, the experience that he, he had to the rest of the humanity. You know? and, uh, but unfortunately, in the Christian tradition, uh, it, is, uh, it is blocked because the, the experience that he, is, he and the Father are one is limited only to Jesus Christ uh, and it is close to the door to the rest of the Christians. Uh, and it is done in the beginning itself, I think, you know. But we can understand uh, uh, being in the Jewish tradition, in the, which is a prophetic tradition, uh, it is impossible for anybody to say that I and God are, are one. And you know, he was crucified because he said that. Jesus was crucified because he claimed to be one with God. And Christianity accepted that possibility only to Christ and then immediately it closed to the Christianity, Christians. And this created a kind of a spiritual apartheid between God and Christians and Christ and, and Christians. And I think that kind of vision served so far, 2000 years. But I think today we need to break that kind of spiritual apartheid, I call it, and open to every Christian to have the experience that Jesus uh, had, which Jesus uh, uh, did. You know, you opened the door for everybody and Christianity closed it. Huh? And today, it is uh, absolutely necessary to open this door and allow the Christians uh, 
to have the same experience that Jesus had.